Greetings and welcome. This is Jessica Lee, local history librarian for the Heights Library System that serves the cities of Cleveland Heights and University Heights in Ohio. And you are listening to the second episode of our new local history podcast, which is called Living in the Heights. This local history podcast will feature news about upcoming local history programs, as well as interviews with local groups and individuals who have oral history stories to tell us about the Heights. We're conducting interviews every first Tuesday of the month from 6.30 to 8 p.m. at the Lee Road Library, but you do have to sign up to participate. This program is not a drop-in program. You have to register ahead of time. So if you have a cool story about living in the Heights, please reach out to me by emailing localhistory@heightslibrary.org. You can also reach out to me through email if you're interested in a list of questions to get you started. That email again would be localhistory@heightslibrary.org. Or if you want, you can stop by our Lee Road branch and pick up a printed copy of the questions in our local history area near the reference section. For this episode, we're going to share a pre-recorded interview with longtime staff member Bill Rubin. Bill has had a fascinating career both as a librarian and as an entrepreneur in the local community. So we hope that you enjoy this interview and that you reach out to us to share your own stories as well so we can reminisce about Living in the Heights. All right, um, so my name is Jessica Robinson, local history librarian at the Cleveland Heights University Heights Public Library, and I'm interviewing Bill Rubin. Um, The date is December 15th, 2017. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you were born and your experience growing up? Sure. I was actually born in Dayton, Ohio, where my dad was a manager for a movie theater, and we came back to Cleveland when I was a year and a half old, and we came to a house on Redwood, Cleveland Heights, that my great-grandparents had built, and that my mother had grown up in, and actually my grandfather had grown up in it, my mother had grown up in it, and then when I was about three, we moved to University Heights, and the rest of the time growing up, I was in University Heights. I went to Case Post Reserve University, both for my undergraduate degree and for my master's degree in library science. Lived in Cleveland Heights for the next, well, up until about 20 years ago, actually. 20 years ago, I moved all the way down Lee Road to Shaker Heights. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't get very far away. So how long did your family live in Cleveland Heights then? Do you know when they, roughly when they came here? Was that, Um, if they, they built the house then? Yeah, right. It seems to me that they were here in the early 20s. Oh, actually, I take that back because I think my grandfather's draft card was for Redwood. So 1918, Mm -hmm. 1917. So early on. Tell me, when did your connection with Heights Libraries begin? Well... That's a story that has a picture in the archives also. When I was 17 years old, the, in, in 1967, the Shaker Heights Library had an 8mm film collection, and I was hired there as the page to take care of the collection. And they had the collection for about six months, and it was on approval, and they decided that it was not something they wanted to do because, you know, why would anyone have films in a library? <laughs> mm, yeah. In those days, uh, that was unheard of. So they sent it back. It was on approval and they sent it back. And shortly thereafter, Sarah Cody, who was the director here, had mm. a meeting for Heights High students saying, what would you like to see in the library? 
because the new library, Lee Road Library, was under construction and uh, going to open in 1968. You know, curious as to what people would like to see. So I went to the meeting and, you know, various people were there. We gave our opinions. And after the meeting, I went up to her and I said, Miss Cody, and I told her my story about Shaker Heights. I mm -hmm. said, I thought they films did very well there. And if you would like to hire me as a page to take care of the films, I would be more than happy to work for you. So that was in the spring of 68 and I also ended up on the opening day committee for the library. Mm -hmm. So on September 8th I believe it was the new library opened and that was my first day of work for the Cleveland Heights University Heights Public Library. I've effectively been in the business for 50 years. This year 2018 it'll be uh, 50 years since I first worked for the Cleveland Heights Library System. So what did your job duties like taking care of the film what what did you have to do? Well people would take out the eight millimeter film and they would show it and then they would bring it back and my job was to run the film mm -hmm. between two arms crank arms and clean it with a little cloth and make sure there were no breaks or burns in it. If there were breaks or burns in it, I repaired them with the little repair kit that oh, I had. You repaired them? Uh, yeah. Wow. And it seems to me we used to charge people like 10 cents for a burn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was big money in those days. And then they would be checked off their card when they were in good condition and mm -hmm. put back out on the shelf. Could they only get one at a time? How many do you, you think know, they were allowed to take out? You know, that I don't really remember. It wasn't yeah. very many because the collection wasn't real big. So mm -hmm. maybe one or two at the time for, at the beginning. How much, how much did they pay you an hour back then? Do you remember? Uh, yes, yes. I started working for the Cleveland Heights Library System for 75 cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a popular service? Yes, very popular. Yeah, I had been right to go to Miss Cody and say, you know, this mm -hmm. is something that would be good for the library to do. And really the way they did it, they kept adding to it. It started off with a lot of two real comedies, Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy, Buster Keaton. And then they started buying, once they saw it was a collection that people were enjoying, they started getting feature films like mm -hmm. Nosferatu and Birth of a Nation, actually. Mm -hmm. and Broken Blossoms, which was another D.W. Griffith's Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. You know, mm -hmm. all, all the all the classic films that were a little bit longer, and people took those out. So mm -hmm. it was it was interesting, and and really was the predated the interest that people had in borrowing films from the library, and you know, eventually. Uh, yeah, we're, we're where we are now with the whole mm -hmm. AV room. What do you remember about the renovation? I mean, they went from, it was one floor, right? They added a second floor. Right. 67, it was like 67 and they reopened in 68. Right. The children's room area, that's now the teen room area, is the shell of the original library that mm -hmm. was here, the 1930s library. So they took down houses along Lee Road and along Delwood and Ormond. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they expanded all the way, you know, from from block mm -hmm. to block. And the the new building, you know, was modern in 1968, mm -hmm. um, and had meeting rooms on the second floor. To begin with, the collection was all down on the first floor. Right, right. Um, but the children's room was to the north. The adult area where the children's room is now was just this huge open space and people loved it mm -hmm. um, and we had a giant reference collection and we had a giant magazine collection mm -hmm. and the fiction and the nonfiction. at the time other than cleveland public library it was the largest suburban library in the state of ohio 
you know, it really was cutting edge in, in mm-hmm. lots of the things that we were doing here. I've seen some pictures of them tearing the houses down. Was that controversial in the community? Do yes. you think people were on, you know, was it, you uh, know? No, I was, I, I was a high school student, right. so... Um, but I know that later on, when the library wanted to take some additional houses for additional parking, the neighbors said, no, that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. and referenced back to when the houses were taken down for the right. parking lot. I remember that the two houses on Ormond, actually they allowed the people who were living in the houses to continue living in the houses until they were fairly old and until they decided to move elsewhere. And at Mm -hmm. that point, tore down those houses too and expanded the parking lot. After you were a page, what other, how did you progress after that? Well... I was a page. Some of them are jobs that no longer exist, Mm -hmm. but I was what was called a library aide. Um, I was a library clerk. One summer I was a guard. Did you wear, I've seen pictures of the the uniform they used to wear. Right, no, that was after my time as a guard. I didn't didn't have to wear that. Then I became a a pre-professional, which now we refer to like a library associate. Mm -hmm. And then I went to library school and became a professional librarian here. Mm -hmm. So I then I worked my way up. Um, I mm-hmm. was here from 1968 to 1975. Did a, quite a variety of things in that time. Do you have like a, a favorite memory? I, I know it might be hard because you have such a long career. Well, you know, there were lots of things here that, that we did that were really, really a lot of fun. One time I, uh, on uh, March 31st, I stayed over mm-hmm. after the library was closed. We used to have browsing bins with things like, you know, mystery or Mm -hmm. whatever on them. And I had made all sorts of different signs, and I took down the originals, Mm -hmm. and I put the signs up. And they said things like, these fell on the floor. Books with red covers. We never read these either. (laughs) Books that are too tall for the shelves. And the next day, first of all, the staff came in before Mm -hmm. the library opened, and they were hysterical. And then the customers came in, and they were hysterical. And we left those bins up for the entire month of April. Mm. <laughs> it was just like an April Fool's the entire month. Um, you know, it was just there were fun things like that that happened. And one time, as a practical joke, there were a group of us young ones on one evening, and we hid the Oxford English Dictionary, all 36 volumes of it. Oh, wow. And then the next morning when one of the librarians came in, she said, what happened to the Oxford English Dictionary? What happened to the OED? (laughs) And we looked and we said, oh my goodness, it's gone. Someone (laughs) must have taken it. (laughs) Well, eventually, you know, we fessed up and put it back. But it was, you know, the the camaraderie was Mm -hmm. really, was really fun. And, uh, um, well, a lot of uh, innovation is supposed to come from playful, you know, the playful attitude. Right. You know, and I think Heights Libraries has always been a place that's incredibly innovative. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, the summer reading programs were great. I remember one time, one year, that the kids, once they uh, had finished reading, they traced around their foot and they cut out a footprint and put their name oh. on it. And they were, had footprints going from the front door to into the children's room by the end of the summer. Now, in the middle of that, Godzilla's footprints <laughs> showed up one night, mm. and it said, 108 books eaten. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine who would do such a thing. <laughs> but uh, it was, in, in some ways, a simple time 
in that, you know, we didn't have a lot of, the technology wasn't here. It was all manual. But it was also a, a real payday because as librarians, we really had to know our reference collection. We had to be able to answer questions. We had to be able to think on our feet without right. without Googling and without mm -hmm. um, going to a database. When somebody wanted to reserve a book, it cost them, well, first it cost them a dime. Eventually it cost them a quarter. Mm -hmm. And because there was no electronic catalog, the circulation clerks had a, a book of all these slips with people's mm -hmm. names on them. And every day we'd go to the shelf and look and see if the book had come back. Mm -hmm. And when it had, then they would call them or send them a postcard saying that their book was in. Yeah, I did read that there was a, a fee for that mm -hmm. if you wanted to get a notification sent to your home. Like, right. You know, by right. by post, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, I, feel, I, I can't remember how much it was, and they raised it at one point. Right. It, it, it seems to me like, it was originally 10 cents and and went to 25 cents. And yeah. Seems to me people weren't happy about that. But, you know, the cost of postage had gone up. And mm -hmm. the, the volume of, of books that we had um, was, uh, and the number of requests we had was just, you know, incredible. Cleveland Heights University has always been a reading community. People just, they wanted new books, they wanted history, they wanted crafts and, and how-tos and, mm -hmm. you know, um, and in those days, we didn't have access to anyone else's collection. Right. You know, we didn't know what Cleveland Public had. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know what uh, the other, you know, Shaker Heights had. Mm -hmm. So we were really very dependent on our own collection. Right. Um, and so we did everything we could to get it to people when mm -hmm. we could. So how did you approach reference questions then without the, without the Internet? Well, as I said, we really had to know our collection. And we had an in-depth reference collection. The, one of the people I worked with, the reference librarian, when I first became an associate here, was Marcella Marteka. She became the head of the business library down at uh, Cleveland Public Library eventually, mm -hmm. and Nancy Fisher took over the role as reference librarian. Both of them were great. I, I worked with great people here, leaders mm -hmm. in the library field. I, I was very fortunate. Marcella Mateka, she made sure that we knew what was in every one of those reference books. Mm -hmm. There was an expectation that we would spend time with each of them. There was an expectation that if someone came to ask a question, we would say, oh, you know, I think that that would be found in, and we'd walk mm -hmm. over to the, to the book. And because we worked as a team on mm -hmm. questions, there were always two or three people at the adult reference desk. So if one person... You know, we'd listen in on each other's mm -hmm. interactions. And if one person said, yeah, let me think about that, someone else would say, well, yeah, you might want to try, and mm -hmm. then they'd name a particular source that would be good. I, I worked with great people here. Sarah Cody, mm -hmm. Rachel Nelson, Nancy Wareham. Nancy Wareham was my adult services supervisor. Rachel Nelson was the assistant director. Sarah Cody was the director. Mm -hmm. Now, all three of them were leaders in librarianship in the state mm -hmm. of Ohio. They were all president of OLC, I think, at mm -hmm. one point or yeah. another. And, you know, it was a great learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. And they were very encouraging to me, which was nice also. They encouraged me when I decided to go into library science mm -hmm. and, and supported me, you know, changed my schedule as needed so that mm -hmm. I could take my classes, things like that. It's yeah. a great place to work. Were they your inspiration for becoming a librarian, or did you already have that well, in you? Well, no, I, I, you know, I always was a big reader, and mm -hmm. as we all learn, 
reading and librarianship don't necessarily go hand in hand because right. you don't get to sit and read. Mm -hmm. um, but I was always a big reader and we used, my family used the library constantly. We would make weekly trips in the evening to the Noble Road branch. Mm -hmm. Sometimes go to the Coventry Library. We'd sometimes mm -hmm. go to University Heights. We'd sometimes come here to Lee Road. Mm -hmm. Noble, though, was the branch where we went most frequently. And as I say, mm -hmm. it was on a weekly basis. We would always have come out of there with two small handled shopping bags of books. One of them was my father, my brother, my sister, myself, and the other one was my mother, mm -hmm. um, who was a voracious mystery reader mm -hmm. and would literally go through a bag of books in a week. Yeah. And then the next week we'd go and we'd get another. She also, back in the day, and this is, you know, we're talking like late 50s, they had what they called 24-hour books. Oh, really? And it was two cents a day if you kept it overdue. My mother would borrow it, take it home at night, mm -hmm. read it, and take it back the next day. Wow. <laughs> you know, so lots of the brand new books you know, were handled that way. And they were only 24 hours? Yeah, yeah. And the two cents a day, basically, you know, if you wanted to keep them a week, it cost a dime. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, my mom was <laughs> yeah. a speedy reader. Yeah, books back then were a lot less expensive, too. I mean, would that be... I mean, I wonder how, how comparable the, like, 10 cents a week would be to the cost of a, a paperback back then. Oh, or the, would they it, it was. Hardbacks? It was the cost of a paperback back then, and hardcovers were 2 to $3. Mm -hmm. I mean, add a zero behind everything, and, and you got the today's prices. Right. Although, uh, when I opened up Apple Tree Books, someone once told me that the cost of a cheap seat, seat in the theater, mm -hmm. the cost of a dinner with a glass of wine, mm -hmm. and the cost of a hardback book had all been the same, you know, in sync with each other since Shakespeare's time. Oh, wow. So, you know, in, in Shakespeare's day, you know, it was a penny for the cheap seats mm -hmm. or for standing room in, in the pit. It was a penny for dinner, mm -hmm. and, it, and books cost a penny as well. Mm -hmm. And it has only gone up since then. How, how do you think technology has really changed oh, libraries? Well, it, 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 it's been huge. You know, I left librarianship in 1975 to go work, to open up Apple Tree Books and work mm -hmm. there. Um, I had it till 1990, at which point I sold it, mm -hmm. uh, and got back into libraries. And I said at the time that all the things we said we wished we could do, we could then do in mm -hmm. 1990. So that 15 years then mm -hmm. was a huge, huge change for technology. When I was a librarian here, I was in charge of the magazines. And every year, one of the secretaries would type up the magazine list of the magazine holdings mm -hmm. on a typewriter. And in library school, I had learned how to do a little bit of basic computer programming. Mm -hmm. And I suggested that if we did a set of punch cards, mm -hmm. we could run the list down at the Kai Corporation, which was down at the foot of Cedar Hill, a huge computer center, you know, with computers the size of a room. Mm -hmm. We could run the list down there, and then, you know, all we had to do was, at any given time, pull out a car, punch card, re-punch it, put the new one in, and, you know, it, it was a lot easier. Well, it cost $25 to become a member of Kai Corporation. And I, Sarah Cody, invited me, asked me, told me to come <laughs> to the board 
and explain the project to them so that they would approve the $25 expense to join mm -hmm. the Kai Corporation. Um, well, they did, and that was the first computerization of the collection. Uh, when I was here, too, we had a teletype that connected all of the libraries that became Clevenet libraries. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to run the teletype machine. I was the backup teletype operator. And during the day, we'd take requests, and if we didn't own the book, we'd put it on the teletype, and everybody would scramble around to find the books on the list, and the first person who found them would teletype that they had them, and then, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't fast, you didn't get to mm -hmm. loan the book. Um, and then we would send them through delivery to whatever the library system was. During the day, if the bell rang three times, that meant it was a rush, rush order. Mm. Um, and we'd go to the machine, you'd look, you'd see what the title was, you'd race out onto the floor, mm -hmm. grab a copy of the book, race back, and hope that you got there before the person from Shaker or the person from you wow. or from ever. So you were all kind of competing then. Yes, yes. It, it was fun. It was great. When, around what year was that? I got my library degree in 73, so it had to be somewhere between 70 and 73. Mm-hmm. Because I was already working in the office and working as a pre-professional, so somewhere in there. Yeah, I've read about some of the computerized systems that they started getting in the early 80s and how revolutionary those were. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the projects, date due slips, used to be a, a hand project. Mm -hmm. and, and with cards, and you, they'd file the cards in circulation, and then they'd pull the cards back out and put them in the books, and the whole process. And at some point, they got these machines that microfilmed a transaction. And they would put down a, a slip of paper with a machine-readable number on it mm -hmm. that looked a lot like a check. And they'd put the person's library card, and they would put the book, and they would click the button and take a microfilm picture of it. And then, when the books were returned, the slips were sent to Cleveland Trust because they were indeed checks and Cleveland Trust would run the list mm -hmm. of what had been what had been returned mm -hmm. and what had been taken out and it was taken off people's records mm -hmm. um, but that was that was a real innovation and we mm -hmm. were one of the first libraries to do that yeah it seems like Heights libraries were on the forefront I mean so of some of these computerized systems it seems like we were on the forefront of getting a lot of these, you know, systems in place. Absolutely, and again, you know, Sarah Cody, Rachel Nelson, Steve Wood, who was a good friend, they really, it was like they could see the future. They could see where libraries were going, and they mm -hmm. took what steps were needed over the course of, you know, 25, 30 years to get the library system to that mm -hmm. point. It really, you know, very forward-thinking directors and a great staff that, you know, would just run away with the projects. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, somebody would come up with an idea and boom, yeah, you know, it was implemented. Yeah, so where do you think in the future, that's a big question, but where, where do you think libraries are, are headed? I mean, you have a lot of perspective, you know, working in this field. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm bullish on libraries. For about five, six years, I taught at Kent State, and one of the things that the students at Kent State would ask me is, you know, like, am I going to have a career? Mm -hmm. You know, is, is this a master's degree worth getting? And I always said yes. 
because libraries have always seen how to use the new technology in order to provide the kinds of services that they are known for. Right. So, you know, if you want information, if you want entertainment, if you want story times for your kids, mm-hmm. if you want teenage programs, all those things, if you want community meeting rooms, all those things that libraries have been doing, there's still a demand in the community. Plus, you and I learn things every day. And people come in and they sit down at the computer, for instance, and they need to do a Word document. And they're having trouble with it, and they come up and they get one of us, and they say, now here's what I'm having trouble with. And what do we do? We go and we say, okay, click here, click here, click here. You're all set. And they say, okay, what did you do? I said, Mm -hmm. click here, click here, click here. And they say, oh, thank you so much. How do you know how to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, I was not born how to, knowing how to do that, but in fact, we all learn, and we have had enough questions and worked enough ourselves that we are able to really help our customers, and our customers still see that. Customers still come in and say, what have you read recently? I like a good book, mm-hmm. because we keep up on that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the name of the new Dan Brown I really enjoyed his other ones, and I'd like to read this one, too. I've read all of Pick an Author, Mm -hmm. and who else writes like them? So those kinds of questions haven't changed. Those are the Mm -hmm. exact same questions we always had. It's where we go to look up that information. And, you know, there used to be, we used to have book lists, um, printed book lists that Mm -hmm. we could refer to, and now we can go on to Goodreads and get a real Mm -hmm. nice list of of similar titles, read-alikes. So so what we've done is we're using the technology to enhance the services that we have always provided, and then we think of new services that we can provide, and I don't see libraries going away, because there are always people who will need help, who will need entertainment, who will need the camaraderie of libraries. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about how many of our customers we see here every day, Mm -hmm. every single day. They're nice people. They live in the neighborhood. Lots of them are retirees, but many of them are here working Mm because they work from home, but they really work from the library. And they have made a community, and they've made a community with us, and the use of libraries hasn't gone down. Mm -hmm. If anything, it's gone up as as we've offered more and more levels of service Mm -hmm. and identified groups of people who might not have thought to come into a library in the 60s because it was a little more genteel than it is now. But, you know, we've welcomed them in. We always Mm -hmm. have welcomed people. Heights Library certainly has always welcomed people. Mm You know, it's, 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 been a, it's been a great, great opportunity to work here. Uh, are there any other large-scale changes other than technology that you can... Um, well, the building has changed because we've opened up the entire second floor and built out mm-hmm. on it. There was an interim time when they had, they originally just the meeting rooms and the staff room and the offices were up here on mm-hmm. the second floor. And then um, they created an area and moved the fiction up into mm-hmm. it. Um, and then in this latest uh, rebuilding, mm-hmm. they completely reconfigured the entire building. Um, so those are big changes because it's allowed the library to um, expand collections. Mm-hmm. Um, every time we, 
you know, when they moved the fiction upstairs, they were able to expand the fiction collection. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, now the adult department, you know, being up here in the children's room being where the adult department was. So mm -hmm. it's three times the size and the teen room, which originally was a little square in the right. browsing room. Yeah, it was just some shelves. Right. Right, in the browsing room, and now, you know, there's a whole teen room, and again, we welcome the teens in, mm -hmm. which means that during the years where they were most likely to not come to the library, because mm -hmm. it wasn't a cool place to be, now they're coming to the library, which means that they will continue coming to the library. Mm -hmm. You know, this generation, we're going to really have had them from baby and me story times mm -hmm. all the way into being adults. And, you know, that's, that's just real exciting. Yeah, and we purchased the, um, in the, that renovation, we purchased the old YMCA across the right, street. Absolutely. And we're able to build the technology lab over there. Yes, and, and, and expand that as well to where the old gym is in, in there. And, and, and that's something, too, you know, community partnerships. You know, we have the Obama Theater in the basement over there. We have the Small Business Administration office on the second floor, and, and we encourage entrepreneurs to come and, mm -hmm. and get help, the SBA, and, and have a workspace for them. Mm -hmm. We have the gallery, and we're showing local artists in a really nice way. There's a daycare, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've partnered with lots of different organizations to make the library more like one-stop shopping. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can come to the library, and you can be an entrepreneur and you can work on some computer things and then you can go get a good book and a movie and go home at mm -hmm. night and relax. So how do you think Cleveland Heights and University Heights, like as a city, have changed over time? Have you noticed any changes? I'll, I'll say yes and no. The color, the ethnicity, mm -hmm. what countries people are from are different now than they were when I was growing mm -hmm. up in this community. The people aren't any different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because people are people mm -hmm. and Cleveland Heights has always attracted people moving out of the city of Cleveland, mm -hmm. people coming from other countries. When my grandparents built the house on Redwood, you know, they had come here from Lithuania oh, and wow. they had lived in Cleveland and then they'd moved out a little bit from down, they were on Orange Street, which is uh, where near where the queue is. Mm -hmm. That they moved out and then they built a house on the heights mm -hmm. and they were lovely people and they had thick accents mm -hmm. and now we have other lovely people who come in and have thick accents mm -hmm. um, so you know who, who have, have moved along and whose children you know have gone through heights and have gone to college now mm -hmm. and you know and are doctors and lawyers and you know the, the whole thing you know we, we see it happening over and over and over um, and you know, as I say, the racial makeup has changed, but the kinds of people we have mm -hmm. um, and the kinds of services they ask for, other than the technology, haven't really mm -hmm. changed. And, and that's, you know, that's part of the excitement to me of, of living in these communities, mm -hmm. um, is you get a, a very copacetic group of people who want to be here to appreciate the services that the communities provide and we're one of those services mm -hmm. um, so you know I can't uh, tell you how many times people you know here say thank you so much I really appreciate you you know I love coming to the library because mm -hmm. fill in the blank um, 
and then you know that makes it worthwhile going home in the evening uh, a little bit tired but uh, mm-hmm. um, knowing that uh, we've made some differences in people's lives and we've helped a lot of people in the course mm-hmm. of the day yeah uh, I've I've looked at a lot of the program offerings in the 70s and the 80s and it, it there a lot of the programs are very international in, mm-hmm. in, in perspective you know yeah yeah and and that was because that was uh, that was a time when um, you know, we had a lot of people coming here from Eastern Europe, a lot of Russians coming to mm-hmm. the community. Um, you know, the, um, and, and the library has always been a melting pot, mm-hmm. really. You know, when they talk about the American melting pot, the library has been in the center of that. Um, you know, uh, English as a second language classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to Ellis Island and there's a sign in Ellis Island promoting English as a second language and citizenship classes at Cleveland Public Library and it's written in like 10 different mm-hmm. languages. Um, you know, Cleveland has always you know, been a melting pot, but the library is the place that everybody can really come together. Mm-hmm. You know, rich, poor, young, old, you know, everybody is in here mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, you, you don't have to have money to come to the library. Yeah. Um, you can be, you know, anywhere on the learning curve, and we appreciate you showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll help you as best we can to get what you need. Um, that's the way we've always done it. Uh, the book bike idea that, mm-hmm. that we have here that goes out in the summer to, to various mm-hmm. places in the community. Um, when the Heights Li- when the University Heights Library was closed for renovation, and we ran that bookmobile mm-hmm. uh, through University Heights. I mean, these are all the kinds of things that, you know, we've got a lot of stuff in the box, but we keep thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, again, that's Cleveland Heights. Yeah. It's, it's a whole group of people who think outside the box, a whole group of rugged individualists mm-hmm. who have gotten together to form a community. And you know, and, and it's always been encouraged. Um, did, did you have any wild ideas that you feel like really benefited the community? Um, I mean, here or in your other professions? Well, you know, it's... I can't say I had any big ones. Um, but, you know, doing the... Well, for instance, one of the, my ideas was digitizing on uh, microfilm, the Sun newspapers, mm-hmm. um, and I was in charge of that project, and we worked with the University of Microfilms on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the newspapers, by the time I got to them, they were were from the 20s and the 30s, and they were on newsprint. Some of them were wow. earlier than that, and they were, you know, falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably and, degrading. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, they were bound in these huge volumes that were on oh. the shelf. Mm-hmm a special shelving for them um, and you know my idea to get um, them photocopied on, on microfilm mm-hmm. um, was a very it was something that the friends of the library supported and university microfilm supported and we shipped everything off to them and they did it and because by today we still use those microphones. Oh yeah, very heavily. Very heavily, and people really want to know. And you know, I'd love it if we went to the next step and mm-hmm. somehow we're able to digitalize them to online. Oh yeah, um, and then share them with the community. Really yeah. share them outside of the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, forty years later, 
those papers would have been dust right and unreadable you know we would have lost them and mm-hmm. that was a big part of the, you know, the community one of the, my projects as a young librarian was filling in the holes in the city directories mm-hmm. and now we have mm-hmm. a you know full set of the Cleveland city directories from 1920 something right. all mm-hmm. the way through you know I, I went to various other libraries that had duplicates and picked things up here and there and we filled in. That was how we were able to handle things mm-hmm. way back when. I'm very proud of the fact that Apple Tree Books is now 42 years old mm. um, and on its third owner and is a, a major part of the Cedar Fenner Mount community mm-hmm. and the yeah, Cleveland Heights um, starting that store and, and seeing it continue on mm-hmm. is is really great as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, as I said earlier, coming back here, um, coming back into libraries after Appletree and then coming mm-hmm. back here to the Heights Library at this end of my career, it's been very gratifying because it's a good community to work in. It's an appreciative community and, you know, I, as I said earlier, I, I really think we're making a difference here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's important at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think it shows, you know, when the community comes out to support us, you know, when we have a levy or... Right, right. I didn't know if you were involved in any of the well, levy actually, campaigns. Well, actually, I was. Um, so I have a couple of levy stories. Sarah Cody, when I was hired, she called me into her office and offered me the job as a librarian. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, now, Mr. Rubin, we're putting our first levy on the ballot. This is in 1973. Mm-hmm. We're putting our first levy on the ballot. And you know, last hired, first fired. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's comforting. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You, you could tell that she was Buffalo Bill's niece when she did uh-huh. things like that. Uh, so I said, Miss Cody, I will help support and promote this levy, mm-hmm. not only for myself, but mm-hmm. you know, also for the library. But mm-hmm. you know, I appreciate what you've told me. Well, years later, I became the, um, the treasurer for the Heights Library Levy Committee, and I mm-hmm. did that for many years. Um, and uh, in those days, we had to go back to the community every five years mm-hmm. for additional money or for, to renew our levy and for additional money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, I worked with Steve Wood on uh, two or three of those campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those were the uh, early 2000s, right? Right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And as I said, I was on the Friends of the Library board a couple different times. I was, I was on the board when I was a page here early mm-hmm. on and the opening day committee, as I said. And then after um, I had Apple Tree Books, I was also on the Friends of the Library board here mm-hmm. and I was the treasurer for that as well. So, you know, there's, you know, I've always had some sort of contact with, mm-hmm. with the Heights Libraries. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. This was a fun opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Okay. All righty. And that brings us to the end of our second episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you tune in next time in June when we talk to Spa John about the history of the Hessler Street Fair. That episode should be available at the end of June. If you're interested in being interviewed for this podcast, please remember you have to contact Jessica Lee, the local history librarian for the Heights Libraries. You can do that by emailing her at localhistory at heightslibrary.org. That email again is localhistory at heightslibrary.org. 
You can also reach her by phone and leave a message at 216-932-3600, extension 1248. A final way to participate is you can write down your memories and drop them off at the Lee Road Library on the second floor with our reference staff. Thank you again for listening. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, and please be sure to send us your stories so we can continue sharing and preserving our memories of living in the Heights.